So three or four years ago, I had a discussion with a colleague at work about Christianity and his views of the church. He is not a Christian. And during this discussion, I got some interesting insights into how he viewed what we are doing here, how he viewed Christianity and the Christian church. And as I have reflected and interacted and read over the last few years, I realized just how many people in the world view Christianity in the same way and view the church. So this morning, I want to reflect on these views, on what people, many people in the world today, think of the church and of Christianity and what we are doing here. And to think this morning of how we respond to these views. And how we respond is going to come as the key message from our text this morning. So my sermon structure is going to be slightly different this morning, and I just want to warn you and prepare you for that. I've got quite a long introduction, because I'm going to be sketching a scenario for you that will help you to fully appreciate what my colleague, how he views us and the church and what we are doing here, and how many in the world view Christianity. And then we will have two brief points as to how we are to respond. So don't get concerned if halfway through my sermon I'm still busy thinking through with you this scenario and the sketch that I'm going to put before you. Um, I'm going to try and keep it succinct. It's not going to be a two and a half hour sermon, that's for sure. So let's jump straight into the introduction. And I want to describe to you a scenario now, and we're going to work through the scenario, so please follow closely, and it's going to give you insight as to how many people view Christianity and view what we are doing here in the church. So imagine that with us here in Durban is a man called Joe Smith. Now, he's a fictitious character, and so I must humbly apologize if your name is Joe Smith. I try to choose a name that hopefully not many people have. But Joe is single and in his, in his early 30s. And Joe is, in fact, a really nice guy. He's caring, he's wise, and he's generous. And he spends a lot of his time helping others. For example, he, he does hospital visits where he goes to encourage the sick. He spends time and cares for the poor. He supports them with his finances as he's able to. He, he genuinely cares about them. He tries to find employment for them. No one goes away from meeting with Joe empty-handed. He also gets his hands dirty. Um, he, he often goes down to the point area and works with uh, organizations there that work with the homeless and the prostitutes, and he is involved. He's always got time for his friends. He encourages them. He's concerned for them, and he helps them. And so you cannot really find much fault with Joe. Sure, he's not perfect, but he is a great and caring guy. Anyone who bumps into him finds him to be friendly, caring, and sincere. And they also find in him a wisdom beyond his years. 
He, helps many, he has helped many people in his life. He's also a bit of a writer, and he documents um, the experiences and how he's helped others, and some of the wisdom that he has gleaned, he has documented this, and he's in fact got three volumes of writings. And so there are many, many people in Durban who appreciate Joe, but he's got 20 or 30 especially close friends who have been touched and impacted deeply by his life, and they are just so appreciative to have a friend like Joe. One night, um, Joe is working in the, with the homeless people and the prostitutes with the organizations, the point area, and one of the prostitutes come to, comes to him and says that she wants to get out of this life. She has, is now sick of it. Can he help her? And so Joe definitely agrees. He's that type of a guy that won't let anybody go away from him without helping him. And to cut a long story short, the boss of the prostitute finds out about it, and Joe gets knifed later that night for interfering, and he dies a day later. And this is a great loss for Durban, and a great loss for those people whom Joe has touched. And 20, these 20 or 30 close friends of Joe, they decide that they want to honor Joe. And they decide they are going to start meeting every Wednesday evening to think about Joe and to remember him and the things that he's done for them. They also start to invite people to this meeting. They want to introduce them to Joe's example. And many start joining. And there have been many people that have been impacted by Joe. Some people are curious about Joe. And so these little meetings start to grow. This Wednesday night meeting starts to grow. At this meeting, they start reading some of Joe's writings. He's written quite a bit about his wisdom and what he's done. And these people just try to follow Joe's example. What would Joe do in this situation or that type of situation? And so these meetings continue to grow and they become quite large in number. And the people at the meeting start saying, you know, shouldn't we start a fund so that we can perhaps take Joe's example to other cities? We want other people to know about Joe and what he did for us and how he touched our lives. And in order to do that, we need a name for ourselves, and so we're going to call ourselves Smithians in honor of Joe Smith. And lo and behold, these, these little groups in other cities grow and expand, uh, and people are taken up with Joe and his example, and someone comes up with another idea. We need to start a fund because we don't just want Joe to have an influence in these cities. Why don't we take his example to other nations and to other countries and tell them about Joe and what he did for us? We want to spread the fame of Joe far wider than our groups in our cities. And one day, someone asks you, to attend a Smithian meeting on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. 
they get together and they have a friendly vibe. And at these meetings, they sing some songs to honor Joe. They read a little bit from his writings and they just discuss uh, Joe's example and, and how he can help them become better people and some of Joe's wisdom, which he has for life, that might help them. So would you attend a Smithian meeting on a Wednesday night? Would you attend? For myself, not really, hey? I'm actually, I'm happy that Joe was such a, a wonderful swell guy and that he helped people. But I would not really want to get involved with the Smithians. They, they seem a bit fanatical, wouldn't you say? Just a little bit fanatical. But maybe I'd intend, attend one of the meetings because I'm a bit embarrassed to say no to the person who invited me and so I attend one of the meetings. Would you sing songs to Joe? Nope, I, I wouldn't. I mean, what would that look like? What are you going to say? Hail Joe Smith, la, la, la. What a ex wonderful example you are. La, la, la. You inspire us uh, to live better lives. Thank you. La, la, la. That's, that's freaky weird stuff. I wouldn't sing to Joe Smith. Um, no way. At the meeting, they also ask you for a deeper commitment. That you would actually call yourself a Smithian and that you would commit to meeting every Wednesday night for the rest of your life. No way, I wouldn't do that. That is, that is a massive commitment. I mean, I've got a family, got other things to do, other interests. I wouldn't meet every Wednesday night just um, to think about Joe. That's a massive commitment. And they ask you to donate money to keep the organization and these meetings going. And they want you to contribute on a monthly basis. Definitely not for me. I've got kids, I've got education, need to buy food and provide for my family. I don't really want to give my money to the Smithians and to, to honor Joe Smith. They also find out at the meeting that they encourage you to, to get copies of these three volumes of Joe Smith's writings and to teach your children about it. So now I'm really freaked out. There's no way I'm going to do that. Would you do that with your children? Sure, if, if Joe Smith had some wise, pithy sayings that could help my children with something, I would maybe introduce my children to it and suggest that they think about life a little bit in this way. I'm not going to take Joe Smith's writings and study them at home and, and teach my children to, to read through and study Joe Smith's writings. And then to top it all, they want to start this big fund to really take Joe Smith's name to other countries. And they're asking for donations of 10,000s of rand. Would you? Would you donate 10,000 rand to Joe Smith's cause and to the Smithians? Okay, not me. We have just moved from being freaky weird to being badly freaked out to 
I'm running away from this group freaked out because this is not for me. These Smithians are fanatical, wouldn't you say? They're fanatical, right? I'm not going to join this group and I'm not going to commit to this type of a group. Okay, so that's the sketch I've given you because this is exactly how my colleague views Christianity and what we are doing here. This is what he thinks about Christianity. Jesus is an earlier version of Joe Smith. He was a great, good guy. He helped people. Hardly anybody walked away from Jesus without being impacted by him. And he helped others. He had wise words about life and his sayings were recorded. And he was tragically killed in the prime of his life unjustly. And that was, a, that was very sad that that happened to Jesus. And some of his followers, some of the followers of Jesus decided to start having little meetings on a Sunday to honor the name of Jesus, to sing songs to him, to, to read the things that Jesus had said. They started recording it. They even started teaching their children about the things that Jesus said. And this group of little Christians, they called themselves Christians, had this great idea to take the example of Jesus to other nations and to share him with that. And so today, 2,000 years later, we find there are these little groups of Christian meetings throughout the world, in many cities and in many countries. And this freaks my colleague out. And many in the world today, as they look at the Christian church, this is freaky weird to them, that you and I would be here 2,000 years later thinking about this good guy, Jesus Christ, um, and, and what he did, and that we're still doing it, that we, we are committing to meet every Sunday for him, um, donating money, our time, teaching our children about about him and his views. Isn't that brainwashing? Why are you here in the Christian church when you wouldn't be with, Joe, with the Smithians and with Joe Smith? I wouldn't do it for Joe Smith. Why, why am I here? Why am I here every Sunday why am I giving money and time and energy to Jesus and not to Joe Smith? So how do we respond? How do we respond to my colleague? And how do we respond to the world, many in the world, who look at the Christian church and are freaked out by it because it's just like a Smithian group, people meeting in honor of this guy who was a swell guy. But what are we doing here and how do we justify what we are doing? Well, our key and decisive response must be about the person of Jesus Christ versus Joe Smith. Everything that we are doing here this morning, you at home, using up your time and your energy to, to think about the word of Jesus, 
everything we do here hinges on this one thing. Who is Jesus Christ? You see, with Joe Smith, he's a nice guy, and I wish there were more people in the world like Joe Smith, right? But Joe Smith is not really compelling to me that I'm going to sacrifice my money, my time, my energy. Joe Smith is not really compelling that I'm going to commit my life to his cause. And there is no reason why I would want to take Joe Smith's name to other nations. They will have their examples of good, swell guys who, who did some good things, and they can follow their examples. Why Joe Smith? And so the aim of this passage, which we are now going to work through very quickly, the, aim, the main aim of Colossians 1 verses 15 to 18 is to display the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ over all creation. He is not in the category of a Joe Smith or even the highest archangel. He, in fact, is the most compelling figure in all of history. Two brief headings as we turn to our text, and they will be brief. Heading number one, the supremacy of Christ over all creation. And the second heading is the uniqueness of the church over all organizations. So this is how we respond to the world to justify what we are doing here in the Christian church. Heading number one, the supremacy of Christ over all creation. Let's read Colossians 1 verses 15 to 17. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. A number of key, key doctrines from this passage. Speaking of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over all creation. It says he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15. Now, we are made in the image of God. Human beings are made in the image of God so that we resemble some aspects of what God is like. But we are creatures and God is infinite. And so we cannot fully resemble God, can we? We cannot say of ourselves, when you see me, you see God, can you? Here it speaks of Jesus being the image of the invisible God. He is the full and complete image of the visible God, of the invisible God. And the only way Jesus can do that is if he is completely and fully divine. That is what Paul means here when he says that Jesus is in the image of God. He can only do that if in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. As Colossians 2 verse 9, just over the page, tells us. This is, this is the idea. 
For in Jesus, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, so that when you see Jesus, you see God. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3 tells us that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express or the exact image of his person. That is why Jesus in John 14 verse 9 said, When you see me, you see the Father. He is the image of the invisible God, which we cannot say of any human being, of any angel, or any created thing. The second thing we are told that he is the firstborn over all creation. So this does not mean that Jesus was the first being to be created and that God then used him to create all other things. The text here, the immediate text, is going to show us that Jesus is in fact the creator of all things and is not a creature. The expression firstborn applies to his rank, his dignity, and his honor. For example, in the Old Testament, the firstborn in a family, he was the heir of the estate, and he had a higher rank and honor than the other siblings. And that is what it means here when it says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He has a higher rank and honor and status than anything that has been created. And so that's why it says he's the firstborn over all creation. Our text, and in verse 16, makes it clear then. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with a throne, thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. He, in fact, created everything. And he himself is uncreated, therefore. John 1 verse 3 tells us, that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Thirdly, we told about Jesus that he is the sustainer of the universe. He holds the universe together by his power. Literally, the universe is kept ordered and functioning through the power of Jesus Christ. We cannot say that about Joe Smith, can we? Jesus Christ is in fact not like Joe Smith. Joe Smith is a good person, but we cannot, we cannot have views of Joe Smith like we have of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is not in the category of Joe Smith. Jesus Christ is in fact the most compelling figure in all of history. Although he was born 2,000 years ago as a man, he is also fully God and he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And that makes Jesus Christ worthy of our worship and our very lives. Nothing is too much to sacrifice for Jesus. And so that is our first response as to what we are doing here and why we would not join the Smithians and devote our lives to it, but why we would devote our lives to Jesus Christ. 
The second heading, the uniqueness of the church over all other organizations. Look at verse 18 of our text. Speaking of the lofty, exalted, supreme, preeminent Christ, and then it says, and he's the head of the body, the church. Now that is very surprising to me. After verses 15 to 17, speaking of Christ being the firstborn over all creation and having created all thrones and dominions and authorities and powers, created everything, I would have thought he's going to be now shown to be the head of some intergalactic universal empire worth millions, billions and trillions of dollars. No, it says he's the head of the church, his body. And humanly speaking, this is incomprehensible. Why would this glorious person, God the Son, be head of the church? I mean, from a universal perspective, or the perspective of the universe and all of creation, I mean, the church is like a small pinprick in the cosmos and the universe. It's, it's not even all of humanity. It's a few people of humanity who who are joined together. It's a, it's a microscopic pinprick. Why would this lofty, exalted Christ be head of the church? Yet spiritually speaking, the church is united to Christ. It is part of his body. And so the church is the most precious and exalted and unique organization in all the universe because the church is the body of Christ and it is spiritually united to him. And the church is in fact the central work of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's his purpose in coming into the world. He came to earth, he became a man while still being fully God to redeem a people for himself that they would be united to him and form a glorious spiritual body. He is head of the church. And that gives the church an honor, a dignity, a uniqueness, and an exaltation over any other organization in the whole world. And so I want to close with two points of application as we think about how the world views us and what we are doing here and how we respond to that. We would have to agree with my colleague at work. When they look at the church, we would have to agree with him and with the world that this is quite freaky weird, what we are doing. Seems to be quite narrow, narrow-minded, quite fanatical and actually quite silly except for one ultimate consideration the person of Jesus Christ everything that you and I are doing here on a Sunday that makes this not being freaky and weird like the Smithians would be is the exalted, supreme, and glorious Christ. If Jesus is just another Joe Smith, another Gandhi, another Buddha, 
another Muhammad, another Plato, or another Aristotle, some of the Greek philosophers, then what we are doing here and what you are doing here is freaky weird, and I'm out of here. If Jesus is even just an, another angel, a created angel, a great angel, like Michael or Gabriel, then this is still freaky weird, and I'm out of here. But he's not in the category of a creature, of a mere human, or of an angelic being. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe, and he is the firstborn over all creation. That's why I'm here and not at the Smithians. And I trust that is why you are here in the church of the living God and not joining a group like the Smithians. Our second and last point of application. We do find in the church nominal people, what we would call nominally nominal people. Sheepishly, half apologetically attending the church, being on the fringes and being uninvolved. Perhaps, like me, being too embarrassed to say no when I was invited to a Smithian group, you were too embarrassed to say no when somebody invited you to church and you've kind of just stayed attending here and there, but essentially a bit sheepishly, half-heartedly, and really uninvolved. That actually makes a lot of sense if we were a group of Smithians. In fact, if I did somehow carried on attending a Smithian group, I would be exactly the same. I would be sitting in the back, and I don't know if one of the, you, you know that feeling when you're in a meeting and somebody says, okay, we need this done, who's going to do it? And you try and sink as low as possible into your chair and you lower your eyes and you just say, please don't look at me or pick me to do this. I would be like that in the Smithians. I would sit at the back. I would do as little as possible. I would give as little as possible. And I would be as uninvolved as possible. Why? Because there's nothing compelling for me in Joe Smith. Great, he was a good guy. Wish there were more guys in the world like Joe Smith, but he's not very compelling. Low views of Jesus Christ produce nominal pew warmers. So I want to declare to you today that we are not like the Smithians. And what we are doing here is not freaky weird. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He demands and is worthy of our very lives. There is no sacrifice that is too great to give him. If you are on the fringe, what that means is that you are not very excited about Jesus. And so you don't actually know and are not convinced as to who he is. That's why it is here during COVID time, there is some risk. But as the eldership and as the church, we have to be passionate about Christ. How do we in these times, promote the glory and the honor 
of Jesus Christ. That is what we live for. That is our identity. And that is what we devote ourselves to. It is not freaky weird because the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the firstborn over all creation. Everything that we do here hinges on this one thing. Who is Jesus Christ? And I pray this morning that you would be convinced that he is who the scriptures say he is and that you will understand that he is worthy of your life and your full commitment to his fame and his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are those who are convinced that Jesus Christ is not just another Joe Smith, a wise, great person in the world. He is your very Son. God made flesh to die on the cross to redeem people to yourself, the church, to be a glorious body. And Lord, we commit this word to you that by your Spirit you would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds. And our desire is that the name of Jesus goes to the very ends of the earth, to every single person on this planet, that they may hear the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. We ask and pray this in his name. Amen.